Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm your host, Rob Warner, and today I'm joined by staff reporters Max Madden, Mason Kern, and Jack Harris, as well as site publisher Chris Cartman. Guys, how you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. How are you, Rob? I'm doing very well, too. It's a, it's a nice Tuesday. It's a little chilly. I, I'm enjoying the weather. This was the first day of practice where I was a little bit cool. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. It was, it was a little brisk out there today. I would like to say that Chris said today that he is reminded of how much he hates this time of year. So I think you might have been a little bit hate. more than cool today. I'd probably, if I use the word hate, that was definitely an exaggeration. It's just that the intersection of end of football, territorial cup coming up, right. ba- multiple basketball games a week, and then peak recruiting, it could be a little bit overwhelming at Plus times. Plus the cold weather doesn't help. No, the cold, no, 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 the cold weather is a plus. That's I, I think Chris, yeah, I think Chris just meant that no, because he's got so much work to do in these couple the weeks. Yeah, it's not the weather, but I will say that ASU fans are extremely engaged. The site traffic has been crazy the last couple of weeks, and so that's great. So yeah. people are loving it. We appreciate all our subscribers, and we're recording this episode on Tuesday, November thirteenth, as ASU is approaching its first. Back-to-back road, first of back-to-back road games, the upcoming game at Autzen Stadium against the Oregon Ducks, with kickoff scheduled for 7.30 local time, 8.30 Arizona time. The game will be broadcast on Pac-12 networks. This episode will mainly be a review of ASU's win over UCLA on Senior Day. For the first time in 2018, ASU is riding a three-game winning streak. Um, but right now on our site, some things you guys can check out. There's some really good basketball stories, a recap and a sidebar by Jack and Max from, from ASU's 90-58 win over Long Beach State. Mason was at the game on Friday night against McNeese State in which ASU won. Be sure to check out all that as well as a lot of recruiting news that we have on our site. News on defensive lineman and recent commit Alonzo Hall, the difficult decision that is facing center prospect Drake Nugent, important updates on quarterback commit Joey Yellen and Jaden Daniels, who visited ASU last weekend and is the top-ranked uncommitted quarterback in the country in the 2019 class, an important update on Arizona's top 2019 defensive back Noah Pola Gates. Also, Chris put in a new crystal ball prediction, which our members can access on Sun Devil Source. Chris is 100% on crystal ball predictions, 26 out of 26 between 2018 and 19 classes. Chris, it sounds like there's a lot going on right now on the site. That's what I was just saying, Rob. It's like the busiest weekend of the year ASU just had in recruiting. Uh, They had eight official visitors, probably 15 or more important unofficial visitors from California, plus a bunch of locals. Uh, They just got a commitment, as you mentioned. I think there's other guys, probably three, four, five prospects who are going to commit to ASU in the next two weeks. And people who are listening to this podcast but aren't members of the Devil Sanctuary, they aren't in getting the best inside scoop on what's going on with ASU recruiting on Sun Devil Source, um, they're they're missing out because we're basically projecting what this class is going to look like for ASU. And we already know a lot of the guys to a reasonable degree of of certainty given uh, the percentage that, that we have so far on the crystal ball, which is 100%. Right, so there's just a lot going on right now with ASU recruiting, and be sure to check out the latest on what Chris is reporting on SunDevilSource.com. On this episode, we'll have a breakdown of ASU's key plays that helped the team notch the win against UCLA on Senior Day. Final game, ASU will be playing in Sun Devil Stadium in 2019. 2018, how the Sun Devils needed to rely on sophomore tailback Eno Benjamin, the impressive performance of senior quarterback Manny Wilkins in his final game in Tempe, the impact of Sun Devils junior wideout Nikhil Harry, an evaluation of how Danny Gonzalez's defense competed against UCLA offense that was led by graduate transfer quarterback Wilton Spate, how the Pac-12 did as a whole in Week 11, what the win for ASU does in the Pac-12 South race, along with USC's loss this weekend, a recruiting update, 
that we just kind of discussed a little bit and a basketball discussion about ASU's first three games. We'll be getting into all that, but just before we do that, Jack, can you give us an update of the Pac-12 South standings and how they were updated after this weekend? So Utah is still technically in first place, 5-3 and three in the conference. Uh, they have one more game to go, and then they'll finish up their regular season against BYU. Uh, Arizona and ASU both 4-3 and three in the conference. The big one from last week, USC losing to Cal. That dropped them to 4-4. Four and four. They're out of the Pac-12 South race. Colorado and USC both at 2-5. and five. Um, we, we put a, uh, a whole list of scenarios up on the site about how ASU could clinch the Pac-12 South this week. They could do it. They have to beat Oregon. Utah would have to lose to Colorado. Arizona would have to lose to Washington State. That's the way that the South can be clinched this weekend for ASU. So a couple things would have to happen. And keep in mind that that Utah-Colorado game is in the afternoon before ASU kicks off. So the Sun Devils will, will probably know if Utah loses that game, they could realistically afford to lose the Oregon game and still have a chance to win the Pac-12 South. Um, so they're going to have a better idea of kind of where they are in the division even before they kick off in Eugene on Saturday. Key thing here really is USC's loss took it from being the favorite in the Pac-12 South against uh, Cal last weekend to now totally out of the race. Right. No scenario in which USC can can be the South champion. And now, of course, probably a lot of st- speculation about what, what the future holds for Clay Helton and the coaching staff there. Mm-hmm. There's three teams only that can win the Pac-12 South at this point. ASU, Utah, and Arizona. And Arizona's pathway is difficult. Has to beat Washington State on the road. Has to beat ASU at home. ASU can win the South with a loss, given some of these other scenarios that Jack talked about. But its odds of winning the Pac-12 with a loss are greatly diminished. Utah, if it beats Colorado, is probably in pretty good shape overall. Would probably would be the most likely team. If it loses then ASU probably is the most likely team. So we'll know right. before that game if ASU is probably the most likely team. And there and there is a way, like if Utah loses and, and ASU and Arizona both win, that Territorial Cup could become like a de facto Pac-12 South right. title game like it was a couple years ago. That's fun. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, before we get into the offense and a complete breakdown on, down on that whole uh, part of ASU's win over UCLA. I want to ask you guys, which plays or player performances do you point to in this game that ASU won on Senior Day 31-28 to as a reason as to why ASU was able to win this game that they sort of needed to edge out at the end? Well, you could talk about Nikhil Harry going 7 for 100 through the air, or, you know, Benjamin, or maybe Chase Lucas's interception of Wilton, of Wilton Spade. But I think that the most important sequence in this game was actually a decision by Chip Kelly to not go... Uh, to not go for it when the Bruins were on the ASU 40-yard line yep. uh, and trailing by three. Um, it, it was a fourth and five. I, I, you know, whether or not I agree with it I, doesn't really matter, but I think that that was a huge turning point because uh, that was the last chance that UCLA had to tie the game uh, and make it 24-24 before ASU kind of pulled away. And, of course, you know, hindsight being 20-20, you look back at the final score – and the Bruins lost by three. Right. Um, whether or not that was a makeable field goal, I mean, that's pretty far, but when it's five yards on fourth down and it's Chip Kelly, you expect him to go for it. Uh, especially, I thought the way that the the efficient way that, that Wilton Spate was throwing the ball, uh, especially Caleb Wilson, obviously having a monster day, his biggest game of the year, um, it, it just seemed like a decision in which UCLA probably should have gone for it, and Chip Kelly's decision to not, uh, and, and to play a little bit more conservative might have cost the Bruins in this game. Yeah, I... I- 
Max kind of mentioned it. I, I'm going to go with Chase Lucas's interception because it came at a time right after Merlin Robertson had gotten ejected because of the targeting. Um, and Jermaine Lole, the freshman, tips the pass. Chase Lucas makes a great catch on the sideline, and ASU ends up scoring uh, on their next yeah. drive after that interception and puts them up by 10. So I think it, that play was a huge momentum shift, and that was one of the main uh, takeaways from, from this ASU defense. Yeah, Mason, I thought that was a huge sequence in the game because it wasn't just because that ASU got the ball back and scored. Right after that interception, Eno Benjamin went for runs like a 40-yard run and then a 12-yard run and a 15-yard run after he had been bottled up a little bit in the first half. That whole part of the game, it it changed the game. ASU ran the ball a lot better after that. Um, The other sequence I looked to is after Manny Wilkins' pick six in the first half. He comes back on the next drive, goes 4-5, ASU scores. None of those four completions even went to Nikhil Harry. There was one to Frank Darby. There was one to Kyle Williams. There was one, a check down to Eno Benjamin, where he made a nice play in the open Mm -hmm. field to pick up a first down. And then the touchdown pass to Nick Ralston. Um, That was an important sequence, I thought, after the pick six for ASU to to immediately come back, be able to take the lead, and and go into halftime ahead was huge. I I had a feeling watching the game on the field in the last – few minutes because we go down around five minutes left in the game watch the rest of the game on the field after UCLA had scored and then ASU punted ASU gets is on defense with a minute and a half or so left and has a second and one and that's when Tyler Johnson forces the sack fumble basically whatever you want to call it that then pushes UCLA back and then the crowd really erupted from there UCLA then had two false starts in a row and that that to me really ended the game if not for that even though UCLA, I believe, had no timeouts at that point in they time, did. I still thought UCLA had a chance to go down there and okay. tie the game for sure, at a minimum. Well, definitely. They started the drive with a minute and 57 to go, and the first play of the drive was an 11-yard completion. Correct. And then one more thing I just wanted to mention. You guys did a very good job. Uh, it, it was Kyle Williams who recovered a fumble by Nikhil Harry earlier in the game, having that wherewithal to be to be aware. He had done the same thing at an earlier game. Pardon me, I'm forgetting which one, but in an earlier game of the year, he jumped on a fumble by a teammate. It might have been Eno Benjamin on the one. I think it was Eno Benjamin pass catch that he had that yeah. he fumbled. The only fumble he had all year. But then Kyle Williams also was on the hands team that recovered the onside kick attempt by UCLA. Um, Chris is stealing before, my thunder for his final drive. So again, Kyle Williams, he's done some things this year as a teammate that have just been um, exceptional. The block that he had that sprung the Nikhil Harry touchdown, these plays here. Uh, a lot of times guys get a, re- a, a, a reduced amount of targets or catches or action in a way that they perceive in a negative way, and that affects them on the field. And Kyle Williams is not affected by that whatsoever. So I was going to go with Kyle Williams and the sort of underrated performance he had. It's all right, Chris. But I, what I will say is I don't think the UCLA is in that game at all if it's not for Caleb Wilson. 11 catches, 164 yards, two touchdowns, and the, the next highest uh, receiving total for any UCLA receiver on the game, 36 yards. I mean, Caleb Wilson was why was why UCLA was in the game at that point, and he just was unguardable. And Herm Edwards made the joke after the game, he's still probably open right now. And look, yeah, for people who aren't members, so they don't listen to our, our preview podcast on Thursdays about the upcoming opponent, we were just gushing about Caleb yeah. Wilson as the best tight end prospect that we'd seen in the, in the Pac-12 and his ability to hurt ASU. So, so you could get ready to prepare yourself for this. This wasn't like something that came out of the blue. 
And Chris exactly right. We predicted that he was going to be a very big uh, issue for ASU defenders. And we're going to now move into the ASU offense, though. Starting with sophomore running back Eno Benjamin. He rushed 34 times for 182 yards and one touchdown. He was averaging 5.4 yards per carry. And with his 182-yard performance, he's now gone over the ASU single-season rushing record since ASU joined the Pac-10, Pac-12. It's his third consecutive game, rushing for over 175 yards with at least one score. What record is he on pace to break right now or reach? And how impressive is it that he's been able to do this seemingly each week since the Washington game? Well, it's really impressive. It's something I have never seen before in all my years around ASU's program going back more than 20. Um, he is number one in the Pac-12, I believe, in rushing yards, rushing yards per game. So it's not just the ASU specific numbers as you said Rob he has the most rushing yards already with a minimum of three games left since ASU joined the Pac-12 I believe uh, Pac-10 1978 so that's 40 years right he's eighth all-time single season at ASU but all of the seven ahead of him you got to go back to the Frank Cush era 1970s or even maybe earlier uh, he is Less than 300 yards away from breaking the all-time record. I believe it's 270-ish yards. Right around there. Away from breaking the record. So he's on pace to do that. He may even be able to do that in the regular season. With, right. Before you get to the possibility of a conference championship game or a bowl game. Um, we're talking about one of the most impressive individual performances in ASU football history. That's the reality of it. Um, and... It's important to say, as a part of this, that ASU's offensive line and overall blocking has done an excellent job in enabling this to happen. You have a first-year coordinator, a first-year offensive line coach, right? We knew ASU had returners who were pretty good and that they had a chance to be good, if maybe shallow. But they've had seven guys who have been rolling out there, right. getting the job done, and that's extremely impressive. Yeah, and, and Chris mentioned the 270 yards that you know Benjamin is away from breaking Woody Green's single-season ASU rushing record of uh, 1,565 yards. I think that you know Benjamin is a very, very good shot and actually breaking that. I mean, I think that um, you know, barring injury, absolutely going to break it, given the fact that ASU could be playing in a Pac-12 title game and the fact that ASU could be you know obviously in a bowl game. But I think it's really important to note in the regular season it could also be broken, as Chris said. Uh, in the next two games, ASU is playing into the 66th and 67th rush defense in the country. Both teams are allowing 165 uh, yards on the ground. We we saw, you know, those are respectable numbers, but we saw ASU and Eno Benjamin, uh, you know, do some things on the ground, obviously against Utah. Oh yeah. So I don't I don't think it should be a problem for Who Eno Benjamin. Who the game giving allowing 80 rush yards per game? Right, the third best rush ranked rush defense in the, in the country. So I think that Eno Benjamin. Uh, I mean, 270 for a lot of backs. 270 in the final two or three games is a lot, but honestly, I, I think he's going to have no problem taking care of that record. I think you guys are right, and uh, we're going to transition now. And Nikhil Harry, in what potentially could have been his last game at Sun Devil Stadium, he had seven catches for 100 yards. He was very emotional before and after the game, crying before the game. And if that was the final home game for Harry, how do you guys think he performed in this outing? And just what was it like? getting to watch him, especially when he was playing at home, when it seemed like he was at his best. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, back-to-back 100-yard games for him. Um, and I think, again, it kind of fits into this whole theme of how the offense has developed to where now they're able to get 
Manny Wilkins having good games, you know, Benjamin running for a ton of yards, and Akil Harry being involved in the offense throughout the entirety of the game, seven catches uh, he had against the Bruins. And I think, you know, for him, he talked about after the game, officially he hasn't made a decision, um, but I think it'd be pretty surprising to everybody if he doesn't go to the NFL. And how the, the quote that he said that really stuck out to me the most is he pointed out when he got here, he was pretty raw and had a long way to go. And the program was, you know, had that, 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 that year or two years ago where they miss a bowl game and they struggle through uh, the second half of the season after starting well. And he made the point of, as I've grown, so has the program. And it's been just an interesting thing to see, you know, the impact he's had here and the way that now as he likely exits, it's going to be with a chance to really be part of, of what could be a, a, one of ASU's better all-time seasons if they're able to actually win the division and go to a Pac-12 title game and all of that. Right. I mean, yeah, to kind of echo what Jack was saying, um, very effective. Nikhil Harry, I mean, to get 100 yards on, on seven catches. Um, he doesn't really make a lot of mistakes. The only one I really really point to is on Manny Wilkins' pick six. It kind of looked like he might have stopped running his route or there was some confusion there. But other than that, uh, Nikhil Harry really does not make a lot of mistakes. And, and because he gets so well, double-covered and, and – doesn't have a lot of opportunity to make plays a lot of time he still finds a way right. to do it and that's what's really been most impressive to me and Chris we did it in a lot of our reporting talking about the performance of ASU senior quarterback Manny Wilkins in his very emotional final game at Sun Devil Stadium he was very efficient after having his most efficient game of the season uh, against Utah this time 16 of 22 passing for 199 yards three total touchdowns one interception what did you make of his senior day performance Look, everybody responds differently to this sort of uh, experience when you when you play for the last time. Manny Wilkins is a person who's extremely invested in in the program. He understands and has said to the fans uh, through the media that 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 you know how I perform in these last games of my career are going to determine how you view me. And so he was very emotional on this game not just knowing that this is his last time at Sun Devil Stadium, but also knowing we need to win and we need to win more games for me to get to the place that you think of me the way I want you to, to, to see me. So he was a, visibly crying and sobbing before the game, um, which is difficult when it's a quarterback and, and you got that type of an emotion because that separates you from the, the, the thinking part that is you know allowing you to operate but he got it in check as Jack did a good job of reporting he did a good job of getting in check he was pretty stoic throughout the game then after the win we saw him in the hallway leading to the to the the interview after with, with the press and he was crying again guy was a guy was very emotional almost like a wreck I, I would say before and after the game but that's because it means so much to him and I think he's given his all to the program, and it's important to say he he didn't play he didn't play his best game, but he had that one interception that was bad, the pick six, but he played pretty well overall, and he has really for the last three weeks. Yeah, and we're gonna move on to the ASU defense. Well, UCLA's offense started the game well with just its second opening drive touchdown of the season. The Danny Gonzalez-led defense responded to only allow the UCLA offense 14 points the rest of the game. Only 14 because the defense did not give up the seven points from Andy Wilkins' pick six that Chris was just mentioning. Uh, the defense generated two sacks, five tackles for loss, one turnover, the Chase Lucas interception. Overall, how did the defense perform? 
I thought the defense played well. Obviously, there's only only so much you can do with the personnel that ASU has to combat somebody like Caleb Wilson, and, and not a lot of teams in the country are capable of that, given his status as a prospect at the next level. I think Joshua Kelly was really held in check, uh, 3.8 yards per carry, Rob. Um, there just wasn't a lot that UCLA could get going. Uh, although, I think it, we got to talk about how, you know, in the beginning of this podcast, we talked about how this entire the entire perception of this game could change based on uh, UCLA's performance on that last drive. And Wilton Spate came out and immediately hit a couple short passes to the boundary. Um, and Spate, I think, was really impressive to me, 26 of 35 for over 330 yards. And it was really efficient. I think at some point, at one point in the game, he was 20 for 22 or 19 for 22. And ASU really struggled uh, to defend a lot of the short passes and intermediate passes that Spate had. But overall, uh, you know, keeping keeping Kelly and, and guys like Theo Howard away from making big plays was really the, the reason ASU's defense performed well. Um, I, I thought it was an okay performance. Um, I, I thought UCLA was able to move the ball really effectively uh, down the field, much probably to Danny Gonzalez's discomfort because – at times, UCLA seemed to seamlessly move the ball, and and like Max said, Spate was able to accumulate over 330 yards through the air. Right, and that is not something that this ASU defense wants, obviously. So I, I just thought it was okay. Only one takeaway this time: the Lucas interception, like I said. Um, but various pieces played well. Once they lost Merlin Robertson, I, I think that hurt. But I mean, like I said, they were able to immediately force a, a turnover and then score off of that. So. Yeah, and there was another play uh, in the first half. Max talked about the fourth down UCLA didn't go for. They did try to go for fourth and one um, early in the game, down by three. Uh, Darian Butler just slipped through right past one of the, the left guard, uh, makes the stop, a tackle for loss. And it's plays like that. Think about a couple weeks ago against USC. The Trojans tried a fourth and one in the first in, in the fourth quarter that they couldn't convert. Um, you know, ASU made enough plays even with the – with DeMonte King going out and Jalen Harvey going out and having to rely on so many, you know, like two freshman safeties and then a sophomore Tillman safety. Um, ASU's been so good at preventing big plays, and for the most part, they were still able to do that. It seemed like there was some apprehension, especially from 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 Cam Phillips and, and not wanting to get beat over the top, which might have contributed to Caleb Wilson being able uh, to find that space in the middle parts of the zone. But again, when you have like injuries like that happen, last year against USC, ASU had uh, – Evan Fields had to play most of that game as a freshman, and ASU got burned. And, and against UCLA, they had to turn to some guys who haven't played much this year. They were still able to play well, especially in the second half and down the stretch um, on that last drive that we've talked about. So that's got to be an encouraging sign. I thought this was, quite frankly, the worst ASU defensive performance that we've seen in the last month or more. Uh, you might have to go all the way back, actually, to San Diego State. It, it was it was very average. The Bruins are just not a very good offensive team. N- not to take anything away from uh, Wilton Spade because he did play well, and, and Caleb Wilson's a monster. But it started from the get-go. The jet sweep, ASU should have had multiple guys there defending it. You, there was uh, play actions where guys were running the wrong way. There's coverages where guys weren't where they were supposed to be. I, I'm guessing that Danny Gonzalez... Uh, goes on like a five plus minute rant about his dissatisfaction with that defensive performance in his uh, session with, with reporters tomorrow. Uh, It is definitely true, as Jack said, that ASU is having to rely on more freshmen than any team in the PAC 12 this year defensively. And that 
was exacerbated in that game when Jalen Harvey, a senior who's who had been coming into his own, gets knocked out, and Demonte King early on gets knocked out as a senior. Now you got to play Cam Phillips, who's a true freshman. You already got Jermaine Lole playing a lot more reps right. in addition to the other guys that you've had. And then Merlin Robertson gets knocked out of the game because of the disqualification and you having to sort of reconfigure a little bit in that, in that regard as well. Um, so there was a lot that's happening. But that's that's just a reality of playing football in November at the right. college level. They're they're going to probably have to rely on more of these freshmen here down the stretch, and they need them to play better football on the road in terms of their assignment soundness at at Oregon. Around the Pac-12, we now go with the results from this week in the Pac-12. Number eight Washington State beat Colorado thirty-one to seven. Utah defeated Oregon at home thirty-two to twenty-five. Stanford. Really demolished Oregon State 48-17. to And Cal earned an upset win and is now bowl eligible after a 15-14 victory over USC at the Coliseum. It was Cal's first victory over USC in 14 years. That was a crusher because, as we said earlier, USC looked like it was probably the favorite in the South. Clay Helton pro- maybe needed a, a, a South win to save his job. If they don't get bowl eligible... They need to beat UCLA to be bowl eligible. Am I wrong? That's true. They're yeah. five and five now. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's some scary times, right? And they got Notre Dame still. It's, it's like yeah, you got Notre Dame. So, so that's probably lost. Yeah, I mean, they're gonna Notre Dame's undefeated, right? Yeah. So, I mean, they probably need UCLA win to get bowl eligibility. I don't think six and six at USC that probably shouldn't cut it. And this is a talented group, <laughs> no, too. I mean, not. this is not like a, a group at USC that didn't have any talent coming into the year. No, I mean, yeah. we, we talked about it. I mean, Chris, but it's like like Chris tweeted about it. Like when I'm, I'm on Marshall, that's the kind of stuff he does. It's yeah. Well, let me just uh, – this is a mini rant probably coming. Okay. But let's, oh, boy. let's well, have one. Look, Amon Marshall, he had already earlier in the game had some boneheaded stuff that he had done. And then Cal was going to f- have a third and long – Marshall is popping off to the sidelines, gets flagged for 15. The whole Cal staff and players start celebrating like crazy because they know the game just ended on your stupidity. Well, here's the thing. He's a senior. He, a lot of people think that he was their defensive MVP this season. Okay, What does it say about your culture? That your guy that you look to as like a senior leader who's been a three-, four-year starter – for your program as a defensive back is so selfish that he doesn't even care or think about in the moment the possibility that you could not only cost your team a game, but you could even cost your head coach his job, his the whole staff, everything, right? That, to me, shows a cultural problem that you have because it's not like – I mean, Clay Helton's been working with these guys for, for years now. It just – that 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 is a major problem, and I guess we shouldn't have just uh, counted out USC from blowing it because it seems like USC <laughs> has had a tendency to do that a fair amount. Yeah, and Jack, can you update us on how we're doing in our our Pac-12 weekly picks? All right. Well, the people who listen to the, the uh, listen to us make our picks on the Thursday podcast will know. Like last week, all of our picks were the same, except I thought Cal was going to cover that game. So because of that, I had, I'm just going to say I had the best record this week, although we all did really poorly. Uh, this was my worst yes, week of the, the other, whole whole year so easily. I went two and three against the spread. 
Max, Rob, and Chris, y'all went one and four against the spread. Eee. So Can yeah, you please now make me feel better though. Chris with is now woeful, thirty-seven and twenty-one against the spread this year. Thank you. Just, I yeah. feel better. And Chris is seven and three with ASU games against the against the spread. Yeah. Okay. So what, what about the overall? So Chris still way in the lead with uh, his uh, against the spread record. Also forty-nine and seventeen straight up. Jeez. Uh, me and Max are even. Um, when you look at like our points thing, I'm better against the spread, 29 and 29. Uh, but he's 46 and 20 straight up, 27 and 31 against the spread. And then there's Rob, 26 and 33 against the spread. What am I straight up? What am 40, I straight up? 41 and 25 straight up. Man, which is I'm pretty like, good straight up. No, th- those are that's all. Not the, that's good the because... padding from like all of those non-conference yeah. games the teams played against bad teams. You're not good. You got. <laughs> You're not good. <laughs> you, you got everyone right on Oregon State. I mean, like. Straight up, you know, you're not going to pick Oregon State to be anybody. <laughs> you know, I'm going to play the fifth. I, I don't want to comment anymore on this. I, I th- My favorite segment on this podcast has gone to my least favorite. Okay. All right. Now we're going to go Make to... better picks. It'll be your favorite. Yeah, again. so now we're going to go to what this win does for ASU. The win over UCLA keeps ASU in firm control of its own destiny in the Pac-12 South race. Jack already talked about some of the scenarios in which ASU could clinch the Pac-12 South this upcoming weekend against Oregon but in general, for where this program is at, earning bowl eligibility, having all the recruits in attendance when ASU got this win, how do you guys think it looks as a, as a program and as Herm Edwards' first season? Really good. Um, the bowl eligibility part, Herm Edwards said uh, he called it critical. Um, and, and a lot of coaches make big deals out of you know getting to a bowl game and, and all that. But he, he, he kind of compared it to, to the way he would look at it when, when he would play and coach in the NFL. Like in the NFL, you would target ten wins at the beginning of the season. If you if you got to ten wins, you, you're you're probably going to make the playoffs, um, and then you can go on from there to win the division or whatever. But if you're winning ten games, you're going to be looked at as as a pretty solid team in the league. He looks at it as you know you start the season trying to get to six wins at a minimum, trying to get to a bowl game, and then from there you can start looking at bigger bowl games, you know, conference title races, things like that. Um, he, he makes the point, though, that it's something you can use in recruiting. Obviously, this weekend, um, with the, the over 30 players ASU had on either official or, or unofficial visits, um, that's massive. The fact that the Sun Devils swept the L.A. schools for only the fifth time in program history is massive. Um, so, yeah, it's, you know, the last three weeks, uh, we talked about it after the Stanford game of the different ways ASU season could go. This is obviously best case scenario, and it's and it's setting up for Herm Edwards to really be able to have the kind of year that you can build off of, both with the results on the field, with the way the defense is developed, and with the the momentum they're getting recruiting wise. It's been a remarkable three weeks, right? Because it really has everybody thought that ASU was in danger of not being able to go to a bowl game after the Stanford loss. And that's kind of the, what we were talking about. Three and four going on the road at a USC team that's pretty talented. Yeah, and then Utah was right there at the top of the, of the division also. So uh, it definitely helps recruiting in, in, in incalculable ways to be able to win those three games, to beat USC and UCLA, as Jack said, to get bowl eligibility with a couple more games still remaining on your schedule. Recruiting is about being able to project – 
positivity, the, the direction that you want to be, uh, proving the naysayers or the people that voted you six in the South wrong under Herm Edwards. The general consensus, of course, now is that Herm Edwards has been one of the surprises of the league this year. If you were going to say who's the Pac-12 coach of the year, probably at the very top of the list is Mike Leach. Uh, and then after that, Herm Edwards would probably be in right in that next conversation among a couple of guys. Uh, maybe even the number two pick, probably my number two pick. So, right. Uh, so, so that's been impressive. They have some momentum. If they can finish it out strong, they'll be in really great shape in a way that's going to help them finish this class, 2020 recruiting, all the way. You know, because now you have these right. early official visits right. in the spring, and you can just get a lot more done. So I'm going to ask you guys. This is completely unplanned. Just all three of you guys, I like when you do this, and, and myself. I want a yes or no answer, no explanation. Does ASU represent the Pac-12 South in a championship game on November 30th from Levi Stadium? I'm going to say no on that. Okay. Yeah, I think I think they will. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say <laughs> I I'm going to say yes too. I think I, I think it's probably they're probably a little bit less than a 50-50 shot just mathematically. Maybe like thirty to forty percent somewhere in there, but I don't know. I just think it's weird. Something's gonna happen. Yeah, and it seems like a toss-up where everything lately has panned out for them. Really has. What, I think that's a, with them. That's the a good point. That Utah has suffered. USC imploding. Just all everything. Yeah. Um, we're gonna transition. Last segment of this show: men's basketball. The team defeated McNeese State eighty to fifty-two on Friday night. Beat Long Beach State last night ninety to fifty-eight. Some of your guys' takeaways from the first three games. Uh, so I wrote about this last night. The The rebounding production that ASU has had so far this season has been uh, near historic, especially in like recent history for ASU. They had 56 rebounds in, the, in that opener. It is historic. It's not near historic. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, like near record-breaking almost. Um, they had 56 in the opener. They had 63 against Long Beach State on Monday night, uh, which was the most that the team has had in a regulation game since at least 1996-97, which is as far back as Stats, Inc.'s archives go. And I think it's the first sign, it's the easiest indicator to see how the size and length and athleticism of this roster can impact games, um, especially on like the, the defensive class. Uh, when teams miss shots... Like if they're going to be better defensively, and you're going to have more, you're going to create more missed shots. Obviously, there's going to be more opportunities to rebound the ball. But like they had 40 defensive rebounds against Long Beach State, which is a team that was equal in rebounds against UCLA, and then in its second game had 50 of its own. So it's a decent rebounding team, despite it being a mid-major. Um, for them to be able to dominate on the defensive glass, to then be able to kick the ball out in transition, that's where everything starts. Uh, I talked to assistant coach Rashawn Burno about it. He's, you know, he made the point like all the size it allows ASU to do all these different things with the lineups, but also when you can just create possessions for yourself and not give up second chance points. They gave up zero second chance points to Long Beach State. It covers up a lot of the other awkward kind of transition things that, that you've seen offensively from this team is as Remy Martin's been hurt and they're trying to get all these new players into the lineup. Um, so that's the thing that stuck out the most to me because this just hasn't been a, a very good rebounding team. Right. For, definitely in, in the Bobby Hurley era and probably for some years before that. Um, and, and this year it could be arguably like their biggest strength and the thing that they rely on most to keep themselves in games, definitely. especially once they start playing better teams. Right, yeah. I mean, 
going off what Jack said, I completely agree. I mean, the rebounding numbers vastly improved um, from years past. I think one of my biggest takeaways is offensively, they're just not as good as they were last year. They're, they're not a good three-point shooting team. They're not going to be a consistent three-point threat. Um, they have some weapons. Kamani Lawrence, I think his shot has, has improved greatly uh, over the offseason and into this year. Um, in the first three games, I mean, he's been pretty productive. Um, they've also been playing with a banged-up Remy Martin, like Jack said. Also... In the last two games, they haven't had Rob Edwards, so also trying to find weapons uh, while Rob Edwards has been hurt with with back uh, issues. And but to to kind of go off these these players and and offensively not be as consistent from the three, they're working it inside more. Um, Romello White and. He had a pretty good game um, yesterday against Long Beach State. And then Zylan Cheatham, they're also going to play through a lot in the post as well, um, which is going to be something to, to look for. But, I mean, I, I think they're still going to be a, a well-rounded team, more so than last year, just because, like Jack said, they're the defen- defensively, they're, I feel like they're much better. And then rebounding is a huge aspect of that as well. Look, ASU's taken more field goal attempts than each of its first three opponents double digits against McNeese State. So more very simple terms, more shots at the rim, more free throw attempts. Your opponent gets fewer second chance points. You're going to win most games. Mm -hmm. Now, as Mason was saying, and I think everybody who's listening knows who watches basketball, shooting is extremely important. You know, it's become a shooter's game. Right, three-point shooting is a lot more prevalent. You don't take a lot of two-point shots that are in the in the second-level shots. You want to try to get to the rim, or you want to take open threes. The problem that ASU's had is is that it's not looking like it's going to be a very good three-point shoot three-point shooting team, especially when you don't have Rob Edwards in the lineup. And Remy Martin's shot looks a little bit different in in a not a good way this year. Maybe part of that's because he's hurt. Um, we know that Lugens Dort is an average shooter at this stage of his development. Zylan Cheatham is probably a below average shooter uh, where he's at in his game. Those are two guys that are going to get to the free throw line a lot, and they're not going to be high percentage three-point shooters probably, which is mm-hmm. another factor. Now, it's just such a contrast from ASU last season when it was so reliant on the three-point shot. Right. Also did get to the free throw line a lot early in the season. That sort of changed as – uh, opponents got better. Also missed a lot of free throws. Missed a lot of free throws. Um, what we're going to find out this season is whether or not better defensive opponents, teams that can get second chance opportunities a little bit more, whether teams that can play zone defenses that prevent some of those dribble drives to the basket, how much of an impact that has on ASU. My, my sense is ASU will probably lose some games earlier in the year that mm-hmm. – will frustrate people because they just can't put the, the ball in the basket enough. Um, but the trajectory of the, of, the, of the team overall and the program will continue to improve, which we didn't see a year ago, and that, that was the frustration then. Chris, let me ask you, what, what have you kind of made out of Dort's first three games with balancing like all of the points he scored, but also not like super efficient with his shooting and some of his finishing around the rim? Yeah, not efficient um, at all. Four and, of 13 last night yeah, in, in and, ASU's win over... Over Long Beach State. And him being like the guy who has been for long stretches a predominant ball handler on the offense with Remy Martin banged up. Well, the latter point I'll address first, which is to say that there is no second point guard on this team other than Remy Martin. 
Dort is a scorer. He is a scorer mentality. Mm-hmm. He's and not not to say he can't make a good pass here and there, but he's not going to be a distributor of the basketball. He's looking to get the ball on the rim, which is cool because you should be able to get some second chance opportunities. You crash the glass, and and, and you you score in that kind of a way. Now, to your second to your first point, pardon me. Um, he, he he's so determined and he's so fearless. And I think that's good for a freshman. You, you would rather have somebody that you have to rein in a little bit than someone that you have to coax out of their shell. Definitely. I think that's a good point. So so he has that in spades. He's ready to, in his mind, not just be the guy for ASU. He's ready to be like the guy in college basketball. Which I think is kind of <laughs> what has played Tayshaun Sherry just thus far, with finding his rhythm a little bit. Well, he's also Tayshaun Sherry. It's a little bit of a tangent, but he had two months of injuries. Right. Coming back from that, he doesn't look totally right to me yet. And it's going to probably take a while. Remember, Kamani Lawrence looks a lot better now this year than he did last year. Fans were wondering last year, what's going on with Kamani Lawrence? Well, the <laughs> dude had a broken foot. He was out for six weeks in the middle of his freshman season. you got to just calm down. People aren't going to look the same, especially when they're young, when they're coming off injuries. Right. So I think that's been a factor with, with Cherry. Um, this team is going to frustrate people, but they played really hard last night defensively and they were they were swarming and being active and a big part of that's Remy Martin because he's a key energy component of their game and and I think Romello White feeds off of that some and they're getting pretty good play from Daquan Lake who I think our staff members some of whom have, have on our staff have thought that he probably should be getting more of those minutes from last season yeah so that's going to do it for this edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast for reporters Jack Harris, Mason Kern, Max Madden, and site publisher Chris Cartman, I'm your host Rob Warner saying so long and thank you for tuning in.